Dissecting BC's deadly heat dome. If you think about it, people dying from heat, it's a, it's a failure of, our, of our, the way that we live. New details about the tragic toll and recommendations to keep it from happening again. Also tonight, a campaign of sextortion. Chilling details of what Amanda Todd endured at the trial of her alleged harasser. And bring a friend, get a bonus. And if they're able to recruit an employee, a fellow colleague, uh, then they would also be entitled to some, uh, some bonus. The labor shortage forcing ferry cancellations and how the corporation is responding. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. 619 people. That is the official death toll from last June's heat dome in BC. That sobering number in a new report from the BC Coroner Service, which finds the elderly and most vulnerable suffered the worst by far. And as Aaron MacArthur reports, it says more needs to be done to prevent another extreme heat tragedy. Unprecedented but not unexpected, despite warnings, last June's extreme heat was deadly. The people who died were people who, for a myriad of reasons, were overcome by the effects of extreme heat. The coroner's report into the record heat wave, exposing some glaring errors. An unprepared government, a public unwilling to accept the full extent of the risks, and a general failure to act resulted in the deaths of more than 600 people. People dying from heat, it's, it's a failure of, our, of our, the way that we live. It's not a failure of the health system. The report illustrated a huge equity gap in BC. Of the people that died, two-thirds were over 70. More than half lived alone, and those at greatest risk lived in the densest parts of the province. And those with mental health challenges suffering the most dire outcomes. What do we do right now, heading into the summer, uh, around making sure that our prevention and intervention mechanisms really do work in a way that can reach the populations? After last year's event, it was clear we needed to take a hard look at our response to it. The government has already moved on some of the recommendations in the coroner's report. Heat alerts will be in place for future events and the government is promising more resources to help deal with climate change. But part of the government's plan is to bolster emergency services, something the paramedics union says hasn't happened. The trauma from last June still being felt by frontline paramedics helpless to help those who needed it the most. I know of one crew in the Lower Mainland, an advanced life support crew, that did 11 cardiac arrests in a 12-hour shift. We've seen dispatchers not returning to shifts. Some of those dispatchers that went off during that period of time have not returned to work. A cooler than typical spring has dampened fears of another June spike in temperatures. But more intense heat is something British Columbians will have to adapt to. The coroner's report, a lesson plan on how best to deal with what is likely to come. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Well, as Aaron mentioned, the province announced that new alert system yesterday and now recommendations to help those at risk. So what about what has already changed? For more on that, Keith Baldry joins us from Victoria. Keith, what have we seen when it comes to ambulances and paramedics? 
Yeah, you're going to see some disagreement here between the paramedics union and the health ministry. They have different views of the changes that have occurred. Uh, but the numbers from the health ministry do show that there has been some changes to the good when it comes to emergency services. 125 new full-time paramedics have been hired. 42, and this is a net number uh, because some people have left, as you heard in Aaron's story, 42 new ambulance dispatchers. 22 ambulances have been purchased. Actual vehicles have been added to the fleet. And 24 ambulance stations have been converted from on call situations to 24-7 status. Another big change, according to Health Minister Adrian Dix, is the number of full-time uh, paramedics is increasing and part-time numbers are going down. He says that has to continue. And more fundamentally, the change that needs, needed to be made, uh, perhaps for decades, but is being made now, which is moving from an ambulance system, which was largely made, made up of staff that wasn't, either, wasn't full or part-time staff, permanent staff, but we moved from 30, essentially 33% permanent staff to 56% permanent staff, permanent staff, and that has to increase. So the other thing at play right now in healthcare and a lot of other professions is the fact that paramedics and other healthcare professionals are homesick with COVID-19 with greater numbers than we've seen uh, just in the, uh, compared to several months ago. Don't know when that situation is going to change. So the heat dome does hit. And we don't know if that's going to happen for sure. There is flexibility to move people around, but hopefully we don't see the same number of people testing positive with COVID-19 and therefore not being allowed to work or being advised not to come to work, even if they're needed in the middle of a heat dome. All right, thanks for that, Keith. One of the key recommendations made in that coroner's report is that we need to change the way we build homes in B.C. As Kamal Karmali explains, the report indicates fans and air conditioning aren't enough to protect people from extreme heat. As the weather heats up, a lot of renters seem to be on the hunt for condos with air conditioning. Yes, I think air conditioning should be mandatory in all new units. Cooling devices, a hot topic a year after a deadly heat dome. Now a new BC coroner service report has found a lack of cooling devices played a role in the 619 heat-related deaths. Most decedents were in homes which lacked adequate cooling systems, such as air conditioners or fans. The study shows 93% of those who died may not have had air conditioning, 76% may have gone without a fan. Now the report recommends changing building codes to make sure both existing and new developments have cooling requirements by 2024. What's absolutely critical is that we improve passive design. So those things that actually allow us to cool the building in a manner um, that isn't using electrical or mechanical systems. That means implementing building design strategies to include insulation, air tightness to keep cool air in, ventilation and shading, and then complementing it with mechanical systems, including heat pumps and air conditioning. We need to focus attention on the, the, the least energy efficient buildings. And often those are residential buildings where people that do not have the same socioeconomic fortunes are living. But developers say there are some complexities with trying to make design changes to both retrofits and new builds, especially with a deadline roughly two years from now. It's going to be something of a challenge. Including whether the province's energy-saving measures for new condo buildings would even allow air conditioning in every unit. Either way, a warning, it'll likely be the home buyer or renters that may be feeling the heat financially. For the most part, you're looking at something that is several thousands of dollars. 
Kamal Karamali, Global News. The integrated homicide investigation team has now identified the victims killed in a targeted double shooting on Ackroyd Road in Richmond Saturday morning. 23-year-old Kevin Alaraj and 22-year-old Jeevan Saipan were found suffering from gunshot wounds at around 11 a.m. inside a parkade. Both died at the scene. The pair is known to police and the incident is believed to be connected to the Lower Mainland gang conflict. Homicide investigators also say a vehicle that was found on fire in Surrey 30 minutes later near 114th Street and 96A Avenue is likely connected. Officers are still looking for surveillance and dash cam footage from both scenes in the hours leading up to the crimes. The trial of the Dutch man charged in the case of Amanda Todd continued today. Both of the teen's parents testified about the unrelenting campaign of sextortion she allegedly endured. A warning, the details are disturbing and chilling. Rumina Dea has more. 15-year-old Amanda Todd was living with her father when it began. Norm Todd remembers the day his daughter came to him in distress. She brought the messages that someone was stalking her online, the pedophile. They were about her exposing herself, blackmailing, threatening her. She was scared and kind of panicky, didn't know what she could do about it. Amanda's parents, divorced, testified. They reported the pornographic content to the RCMP. Norm and Carol Todd detailed the challenges they encountered trying to control their daughter's online activity. The police advised Amanda to delete all online accounts, including more than 1,200 so-called Facebook friends, adding Norman Carroll should control computer access. They tried, but Norm testified Amanda freaked out when he cut her off. Carroll said Amanda blocked her. It was really difficult. The behaviors of kids right now is no different from the behavior of kids 10 to 12 years ago. There were other things that drew them in. Crown's theory, Amanda was the victim of a persistent campaign of online sextortion for three years, November 2009 to February 2012. Graphic content sent to family, friends and school, 22 different phony user accounts operated by one man, the accused Aidan Coban, says Crown. Defense suggesting there's no link between Coban and the online extortionist adding that Amanda likely shared social media passwords with others and that she switched schools multiple times because of other problems not related to this case. I want to make sure that all justice is fair. Um, I want to, hopefully, the jury will uh, take everything that's presented to them and, and put it all together and formulate a decision that we will all be happy with. The trial is set for seven weeks. The first witness from the Netherlands is expected to take the stand Thursday. Romina Dea, Global News. More cancelled sailings today as BC Ferries deals with a persistent labour shortage. Four sailings yesterday and four more today as the corporation continues to face staffing challenges. The big hiring bonuses being offered to new and existing workers to try to fill the gaps. Next on the News Hour. First time I've ever had a gift like this. Delivery Day, a news hour follow-up on the outpouring of support for a deserving veteran. Plus, the message of hope from the little girl in this famous photo and her incredible bond with the man who took it. That's coming up. 
Right now, though, just as what's expected to be a busy travel, a busy summer travel season is getting underway, ongoing staffing shortages are forcing the cancellation of some BC ferry sailings. As Kylie Stanton reports, despite having hired hundreds of new workers recently, the ferry service is in need of more and is offering a serious incentive. This announcement, a relief for waiting passengers who just happened to time it right. I hear there's four sailings cancelled today, but it's certainly an inconvenience. BC Ferries still struggling with staffing, leaving vessels short crew members, forcing sailing cancellations, and not just on the minor routes. Unfortunately, yesterday we did have to cancel a number of sailings with the Queen of New Westminster, and that's on the Tawasson Sports Bay run. Uh, today we are seeing crew shortages on the Duke Point Tawasson run. That would be the Queen of Albany. This, despite the corporation actively recruiting. Since January of this year, there have been 850 new hires, 500 of which are classified as seasonal to help meet the demand during the busy summer months. But 150 people are still needed to bring staffing levels back to what they were pre-pandemic. Recruitment is one thing, retention is another. An example would be uh, eight new hires in a, in a training session, and, and then a week later, seven of them have already left. And that creates a real pressure on the remaining employees and the new remaining employees as well. BC Ferries recently introduced incentive pay to help combat this trend, now offering a cash bonus for new or returning employees, as well as current staff members who successfully refer a new hire. That's $5,000 upon the candidate's successful completion of probation and an additional 5000 after one year of service. It is a tough market out there and we're just trying to uh, do everything we can to recruit and fill all those vacancies. Of course, that's going to take some time, something passengers don't always have the patience for. I'm not okay with uh, missing out on trips. But others see this as something we're simply going to have to get used to. It is what it is, you know, and, and it's just the, the new normal. And that's the way it's going to be. Demand is picking up with every passing day, only adding to the pressure. And while no route is expected to be suspended completely, smooth sailing for the very complex system, not likely anytime soon. Kylie Stanton, Global News. And that ongoing labor shortage is becoming a big problem in many sectors, with some restaurants and shops having to cut hours or even close their doors. Now, a Vancouver nonprofit, which helps people get back into the workforce, is looking to connect its clients with those unfilled jobs. Krista Dow reports. It's a gig that had piqued Jacqueline Brooks's interest. Brooks was looking for something more active and less taxing. I was cleaning up BC Children's Hospital and it was a little bit stressful because I, I couldn't sleep at night thinking like, did I actually clean away the flesh eating disease? They were pulling buggies and I, wanted, I said to myself, I want to do something like that. I want to clean the streets. The single mother had previously struggled with homelessness and addictions. A chance encounter led her to Mission Possible, a nonprofit that looks to connect people who have gaps in their employment history with jobs. I haven't done resume in over 20 years, so I don't even, I didn't even know where to begin. I was so confused, uh, but they're professionals at what they do. She's one of thousands who have come through these doors. The demand overwhelming at a time when British Columbia is going through a labor shortage. For us, we, we can't create jobs fast enough. We had about an average of 400 people a year who were showing interest in that. Just in this last year, it's over 600. Smedley believes his clients can be a part of the labor solution. But first, there needs to be a shift in the mindset. 
there's all kinds of stigma around people who are experiencing poverty that they don't want to work, that you know, people consider them to be lazy, but that's the opposite is, is totally true. They also work with other small businesses like grocery stores and maintenance companies, filling that much needed void if people are willing to take a chance. For a business that's looking to hire, can be really simple for them to make some, you know, slight adaptations to the way that they do hiring. Giving people that opportunity um, not only leads to, you know, a great employee, but also will be transformational for the business itself. It's not as easy as you might think. You know, people need help to get it back into work, especially if they're coming off of addiction or something like that. They need a lot of guidance. So that's what MP's for. Krista Dow, Global News. Coming up, cannabis from farm to table. So our bud tenders will be able to uh, explain to our clients uh, the way that the plants are grown. The first of its kind business aimed at demystifying BC bud. Also ahead, another hat in the ring in Surrey's mayoral race. The familiar name about to announce her candidacy. Good evening and good news here in Vancouver. Final clearing stages of a multi-vehicle accident right in the middle of the intersection of Granville and 10th Avenue. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million plus an estimated 46 max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above what's left of a crash in Vancouver. The special stories that shape our province, as suggested by our viewers. This is BC with Jay Durant. Real people, real stories. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Camp Freightways, BC owned and operated for 75 years. Well, the municipal election is still four months away, but the contest for Surrey City Hall is already being closely watched. NDP MLA Jenny Sims is expected to announce she intends to run on Wednesday, adding her name to a growing list of candidates running against Doug McCallum. She's not the only veteran politician considering a campaign. Richard Zussman reports. We have had enough of politics of division. It was first federal politics... Then provincial politics, now Ginny Sims is hoping to make a final jump to the Surrey mayor's chair. I think Ginny Sims is a viable and, and legitimate candidate here. On Wednesday, Sims will formally announce she's joining the race, hoping to seize on growing dysfunction linked to Surrey Mayor Doug McCallum and his ongoing fight against public mischief charges. I think there's a fairly substantial anti-Doug McCallum vote but if too many candidates join, it gets split up in multiple directions and, and Doug McCallum could emerge victorious with a small plurality of the vote. Sims has had legal issues of her own, resigning as a provincial minister in 2019 after the RCMP launched an investigation into allegations of citizenship letters being traded for donations. Sims was cleared of all wrongdoing in 2020, won re-election, but was never promoted back to cabinet. She's obviously confident enough that it's not going to hurt her that much. Um, uh, her opponents, as they say, will try and make something of it. Sims leaving the door open to return here to Victoria. She won't be resigning as an MLA, but although it's not required, she will be taking an unpaid leave of absence for the duration of the mayoral campaign. When you're running in a, in a race like this to be the mayor of a big city, this is full-time campaigning. And, and anyone who is a sitting member of a legislature won't have the time to serve their constituents. Sims joins both McCallum and current city council Brenda Locke in the mayoral race, 
current Liberal MP Sue Dollywall and former MP MLA and White Rock Mayor Gordy Hogue are all still considering a run. One person out of the race? Former Mayor Diane Watts. I served the city of Surrey for almost 18 years and, and I, it was one of the greatest honours that I have had in my life. And uh, that chapter is closed. Now it will be up to the voters in October to write who of the candidates gets to have their happy ending. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. The Vancouver Park Board has committed to a 20-year plan to improve the city's skateboarding infrastructure. The City Skate Program was passed by a unanimous vote at Monday night's Park Board meeting. The plan includes the creation of new skate parks, upgrades to existing ones, and improvements to paths and greenways to make them more skateboard-friendly. The first of those improvements is expected to be completed this year. In passing the motion, the Park Board says Vancouver has long been considered a hub of skateboarding. Well, BC's wineries and craft breweries already draw visitors from all over. Now the Williams Lake First Nation is aiming to bring that same business model to cannabis. They're opening the province's first farm gate cannabis business where they grow, process and sell all under one roof. And they're hoping it will become a destination. Amaragahi reports. As you can see, they're uh, coming up nicely and hopefully we get a bountiful harvest from this room. From seed to sale. When people walk into the facility, they'll be greeted by a bud tender at the counter here. This is a groundbreaking approach to cannabis production and retail. What we're trying to create at Sugarcane Cannabis is for somebody to be able to come to our retail store and have a cannabis experience that's similar to one that you'd experience in the Okanagan at a winery. For the vineyards experiencing that same wine that came out from the vineyard. What's happening here you will not find anywhere else in BC yet. It's called a farm gate cannabis experience, where cultivation, processing and sales will all take place on the same site. The province introduced the concept in 2020 and the first company to accumulate all the necessary licensing and infrastructure belongs to Williams Lake First Nation. Cannabis is, uh, is something that historically was used as a medicine. You know, it was used in ceremony. Chief Willie Sellers says the project is many years in the making and credits an historic government-to-government -government agreement surrounding cannabis law that his nation was able to negotiate with the province. Next thing you know, we have the first farm-to-gate facility, not only in the province, but the first farm-to-gate facility on reserve lands in the country. I mean, just imagine how proud we are of that. It's not only unique, but also profitable for the nation. The projected revenue from the facility is anywhere between two to six million dollars per year, while at the same time offering at-home employment for band members. They didn't have this spot here. I don't know, you know what I'd be doing. I probably wouldn't be in Williams Lake right now. Economic reconciliation is one of the ways that we're going to become a healthy community at WLFN. You know, allowing people to provide for their family, but also creating this revenue stream so that we can continue to invest in our community. And as the facility approaches its official sales launch. And as you can see, they're uh, thriving lush. It is Williams Lake First Nation hoping this venture can pave the way, making it easier for other indigenous communities to enter the cannabis industry. Emadagahi, Global News, in Williams Lake. Still ahead, it was one of the defining photos of the Vietnam War. That picture is, is became a powerful gift for me. 
Napalm Girl 50 Years Later, and how the man who took that picture helped save her life. And Road Hazard caught on camera what drivers on Highway 1 saw hurtling toward them. Attention, need the latest info on budgeting, personal finances, taxes, affordability, or any other money issues in this pricey province? Then get informed. Andrua examines Consumer Matters on Global News. Good evening. Crews are on scene to a multi-vehicle accident here in Richmond, westbound on Highway 91, just before Nelson. Both lanes are technically blocked and traffic is squeezing by on the right. Today's Lotto Max jackpot is an estimated $70 million, plus an estimated 46 max millions. Lotto Max, dream to the max. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on the east-west connector in Richmond. Well, tomorrow marks a milestone anniversary for a famous photo from the Vietnam War. A little girl running for her life after being burned by napalm. That girl, Kim Phuc, eventually made a life for herself in the Toronto area. Now, 50 years later, Phuc and the photographer are speaking out about its significance and the message they hope it sends. I saw the airplane and then I saw four bombs landing, landing like that. Then I heard the noise, boop, 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 boop. Then suddenly there was fire everywhere. And then my, my clothes was burned off by the fire. I was so terrified. I saw Kim without her arm running. I said, why? She don't have the clothes. Why she's naked? Then I run closer, closer. I took more pictures of her. I saw her arm and her, her body burned so badly. I noticed she be dying minutes. That's why I want to help her. About 20 minutes from there to the, uh, the, the hospital. So he said, if you not take her in to treat her now, and uh, he uh, he took out his uh, media, uh, me- pass. media um, uh, pass, uh, AP, and he just uh, threatened them. Like, if you don't take her in tomorrow, we'll be in the news, uh, in the front page news right away. So they took me in. He put down his camera and rushed me to the nearest hospital. Uncle would save my life. Yeah, I owe him. That picture is, is became a powerful gift for me to work uh, for peace and to protect the children. And uh, that is my, I found a purpose. When I looked at that picture, I think that picture came to war right away say no to war because they can see the true what happened to children, innocent people. I think my picture 50 years later, I, I hope no more war. Well, video has now emerged of a frightening incident on Highway 1 that sent one man to hospital with serious injuries. It happened just after 2.30 Sunday afternoon along the highway in Burnaby. A tire came off an eastbound pickup truck at high speed and hit a number of vehicles traveling west. The windshield and roof of one of those vehicles, a minivan, was partially caved in and one man inside was seriously hurt. The tire was located about 100 meters from that scene. The driver of the truck was also located and is cooperating with the investigation. 
An Okanagan man has become one of a handful of Canadians to have an injury validated by the federal government as vaccine-related. 40-year-old Ross Whiteman suffers from Ghislaine-Barr syndrome, a rare condition affecting the nervous system. He was diagnosed just days after receiving his first shot of the AstraZeneca COVID-19 vaccine last spring and spent 67 days in hospital. Now the federal government has accepted his claim for compensation for a vaccine-related injury. I'd rather not be in that club in a heartbeat. It's, it's nice to have some recognition and there's vindication. It's indicative of our persistence with the program and you know every week or every two weeks phoning emailing what's happening do you have all the paperwork you need whiteman says the compensation he will receive doesn't amount to what he was making before his diagnosis and he's now focused on his recovery and hopefully getting back to work as a realtor 28 inmates at Matsqui Institution have tested positive for COVID-19. In-person visits have been suspended at the prison as a result. COVID-19 testing is now being offered to both inmates and staff. PPE is also being provided along with booster doses of COVID vaccines. No word at this point on when in-person visits will resume at Matsqui. Coming up, a new home for Orville. He said he was living in his car in the middle of winter, so we decided that that uh, was unacceptable. The community of Squamish rallies to help a veteran, the difference it has made and how it's turning into a much bigger movement. Plus... You know, once you find something like this, you just can't help but wonder what else is out there. You know the saying, one man's junk? Wait until you see some of the relics recovered from the Fraser River. That story later. Well, if you want to visit three popular BC parks this summer, you'll have to get a day pass again this year. The free BC Parks Day Use Pass program is continuing at Golden Ears Park, Joffrey Lakes Park, and three trailheads at Garibaldi Park. If you want to visit those parks in peak hours, you will have to get your free pass online. You can reserve your pass at 7 a.m. up to two days prior to your visit. The pass system is designed to control the number of people in the parks at one time. An unmanaged number of park visitors can damage the ecosystem and cause parking issues. All right, let's bring in meteorologist Christy Gordon for more on our weather forecast. A nice day today, Christy, but still keeping an eye on the potential for flooding in parts of B.C. Yes, so one area, Sophie, has just been upgraded to a flood warning. Here's a look at it. So it is the Liard River area from Fort Nelson up towards the Watson Lake area. And there's a significant reason why, although we had a gorgeous day today, we've got warmth now uh, across the region and rain. So we've got a band that's going to shift in tomorrow. That's going to bring pockets of very intense rain at times. Thunderstorms, so those pockets will be uh, quite uh, intense. But this one, more consistent rain shifting in late Thursday. Thursday into Friday. So the impact for this area will likely be felt on Friday with this more consistent rain. And so we will be watching this very closely in the days to come. And I wouldn't be surprised with these systems on deck that we see a few more areas be increased to a flood warning. Uh, the, here's a look at the South Coast area. Uh, we have had a gorgeous day today where some areas away from the water were at Humidex values of 27. Now the rain is starting to push in. And it's this first uh, system that we are going to see 
mainly overnight tonight. It shifts further north into those uh, northern areas uh, during the day tomorrow. So for our region, we have a slight chance of showers tomorrow morning, uh, but otherwise it's mostly dry day across our region with sunshine. It's not until Thursday with that next system shifting in that we're expecting periods of rain. So it's a bit back and forth, uh, but it's nonetheless that rain certainly impacting a lot of regions. So there's your forecast. Again, the areas across the south, majority of the rainfall overnight through the morning hours shifting into central and northern regions later in the day. 19 degrees as our daytime high for tomorrow. Heavier rain expected on Thursday. A bit of a break on Friday before more rain shifts in on Saturday. Tonight's central windows weather window comes to you from New Westminster, which of course is also starting to see uh, the air, the river rise in that area. Thank you to Ken for sharing that one with us. And I also wanted to point out those gorgeous clouds that we had today. You likely saw them. They were these cirrus clouds that created a lot of beautiful iridescent looks. That's basically a rainbow in the cloud because the sun actually refracts off of the uh, ice crystals in that high level cloud. Thank you to Colin for sharing that great shot with us. All right, so back to you. Lovely. Thank you, Christy. Well, you might remember the story of Orville Larson. He is an 81-year-old veteran in Squamish who found himself homeless and living in his car. Since we first brought you his story in January, the community has been busy raising funds to help him out. And as Catherine Urquhart tells us, today he got new wheels. Beneath snow-capped mountains in the Squamish Valley, a Canadian veteran finally has something we all want and need a home. First time I've ever had a gift like this in my life. It's uh, quite different. The 81 year old has just been gifted a converted van. We basically built uh, Orville a uh, house on wheels, so he's got everything in there minus uh, a shower. Orville's home sweet home comes after struggling to survive by living out of his car, a last resort after being evicted from the property he was living on. I put the seat back. I got all my stuff here. This is what I own. This is it. Then came a chance encounter with fellow veteran Jeremiah White. Troubled by what he saw, White started a fundraiser. We had hundreds of people reach out. We've got a list a mile long of people that could help out and things to donate, people donating time and resources. More than $40,000 was raised, enough to buy the van and convert it. Oh, this is the uh, electrical bank. It's going to run his stove. It's going to run his lights. So in there we got his fresh water tank. Thought I heard somebody extra. Leftover funds are being used to launch Vans for Veterans to help other vets who may need help. It was uh, really, really affirming of humanity to see everybody come together in such a project like this. This Canadian veteran now has a home. Thank you very much. I appreciate everything you've done. And the support of an entire community. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. They did a good thing. All right, let's uh, bring in Squire now with a look ahead to sports. Squire, what do you have for us today? All right, we'll uh, tell you about Canada's men's soccer team, the latest with that. Also, uh, the Fraser Valley Bandits played one of their games today for school kids. The moment we pitched it to the school district, it was like an automatic yes. They knew how excited their kids would be, and now we're seeing it here. It was a great idea to introduce the team to some people who probably hadn't gone to a Bandits game yet, but may now go again. And later, how a Steveston man is cleaning up the unique treasures he's pulling out of the Fraser and what he says 
the best find would be. All right, Squires, here now with the latest developments in the Canada soccer saga. Well, I guess the developments are good today uh, because they said, Soccer Canada or Canada Soccer, if you like, that the game against Curacao on Thursday at BC Place is a go. No cancellations, although none of the players have said anything publicly about the decision to cancel last Sunday's game against Panama and their thoughts on the upcoming one against Curacao. No deal, though, has been struck between the players and Canada soccer as of yet. But the fact they agreed to go back to practice, hey, there's Alfonso Davies, and are out there, uh, yesterday they were out there, today they are out there, does grow the confidence that there will be a game on Thursday. Although I wonder if fans who were snubbed on Sunday at the last minute would be willing to give this team another chance this week and go to the game on Thursday. Uh, if there is a game on Thursday, and they say there will be, the main guys will likely play because they haven't played a game in this time together yet. BC Lions start the regular season Saturday at home to Edmonton. They finished the preseason at BC Place last week with a win over Saskatchewan. And in that game, they used a lineup that is going to be pretty close to the one you'll see in Game 1 against the Elks. And it's a lineup, according to the coach, that should have more cohesion this year. Nathan is new as the starting quarterback, but he was here all last year. And then we have a whole bunch of guys, offensive linemen, receivers that were all here last year. And so there's heavy continuity, and a lot of times in football that means good things. And so we're hoping that uh, that continuity benefits us. Igor Shosturkin, Andre Vasilevsky. It's game four of the Eastern Conference Final. Rangers are up two games to one. Lightning try to tie, trying to tie this series before it goes back to New York for game five. This is Zach Bogosian. He's stopped by Shosturkin, but Patrick Maroon isn't stopped. And it's 2-0 Tampa in the second. Of course, the winner of this series plays Colorado for the Stanley Cup. Uh, Canada today, the under-18 women's team at the World Championships, uh, taking on Sweden. This is a three-on-none for Canada. Rhea Hicks gets the goal. That would make it 2-0 in the first period. She'd get another one here off the faceoff. Canada won this game by the score of 3-1. They'll play the Americans on Thursday, and Canada's record is now 1-1 one one at the tournament. Tiger Woods says he will not be able to play in the U.S. Open, which starts on June 16th. He is not physically able to, but he does hope to be ready for the British Open, which starts on July 10th. As for the U.S. Open and the players who have left the PGA to play on the Live Tour, those players will be welcomed by the USGA, which runs the U.S. Open. So guys like Dustin Johnson, Sergio Garcia, and Phil Mickelson will be able to play in the U.S. Open. Uh, Seahawks wide receiver DK Metcalf is not at a three-day minicamp this week. He is rehabbing a foot injury, but he's also trying to get a new contract out of Seattle. Now, the Seahawks say they want to keep him in the Emerald City. Metcalf was expected to show up this week. He wasn't told he could stay away, so that means he'll be fined $93,000 for every day he misses. DK is going into the final year of his current contract. But he has seen all the bank-breaking deals other star receivers have gotten in the offseason, and he wants a big deal too. And he'll get one, either in Seattle or somewhere else. The Fraser Valley Bandits players probably went to bed early last night because today was a school day for them, so to speak. Playing in front of a lot of local kids, many seen the Bandits for the first time. School's not out for summer yet, 
But for about 3,500 Fraser Valley students, they got to get out of class today to watch the local basketball team. Fraser Valley Bandits' first ever school day game tipped off at 11 o'clock and the crowd was buzzing well before that. I'm sure the players are feeding off it. I don't know if you saw in warm-up, but they started, started playing up the dunks and a bit of the deep shots and going with the music. And I think it's just a lot of fun for everybody. And I think it's uh, the atmosphere is contagious and I think it's kind of moving around the building. This is the second of 10 home games for the Bandits in their first season at the Langley Event Center. And the concept was an easy sell. Like basketball is the most played team sport in Canada now, the most popular sport amongst new immigrant youth. So the moment we pitched it to the school districts, it was like an automatic yes. They knew how excited their kids would be, and now we're seeing it here. Along with the action on the courts, fans got a free bag and were treated to the marching bands from Robert Bateman Middle School and Claiborne Middle School. The Bandits lost to the Hamilton Honey Badgers 80-68, to but the team won a lot of new fans by giving them an experience they won't forget. Well, honestly, like this is the first time I've ever been to a game. So, um, you know, I'm like really enjoying it. And uh, my mom actually said that we are going to come back and hopefully get some closer up seats and uh, come and do a watch another game. The Bandits are a hot ticket for Hoops fans. And the next home game on June 18th against the Scarborough Shooting Stars is already sold out. Well, that looked like a good time for all. <laughs> Thanks, Squire. Well, except that the bandits lost. But outside of that, it was a good time. I like the Honey Badgers. You like that name? Honey Badger don't care. I know the Honey Badger <laughs> don't care. Up next, the treasure trove along the banks of the Fraser River and the urban archaeologist who's digging them up. This is BC with Jay Durant is brought to you in part by Van Cam Freightways. BC owned and operated for 75 years. All right, Sarah McDonald is here now with a preview of what's coming up tonight on Global News at 11. Sarah? Yeah, so if we have details on the prison sentence for a local school counselor caught with child porn, plus a new place to skate, the Vancouver Park Board's new plan to improve skating infrastructure in the city. We'll have those stories and more coming up at 11. So. Sounds good. Thank you, Sarah. A Steveston man is finding all kinds of treasures along the Fraser River. The urban archaeologist says what he has discovered has made him more environmentally conscious. He takes Jade Arant out beachcombing on This Is BC. It was five years ago when Steve LaRocca became a beachcomber. It happened by accident when during a walk he discovered this white onyx horse in the rocks. It's pretty awesome. You know, once you find something like this, you just can't help but wonder what else is out there. Since then, his explorations have uncovered all kinds of relics. Old Coco Chanel bottle. This is an identification card from a BC ferry. How old do you suppose that is? Look at that beauty. There really is treasure to be found along the Fraser River. We used to have the gold rush, and now we've got urban archaeology. I'm not so sure I'm not more of a litter picker, which I'm proud to uh, hold that name. LaRocca's adventures have taken him off the beaten path to some very remote Fraser River beaches in Richmond, where very few people go to do this type of digging for these kinds of discoveries. Got an old Bakelite dentures. Look how old that is. Oh my God. Nothing is quite as shocking as memorable items like this. 
He has saved all kinds of waste and plastics from the water. They wind up in the Salish Sea and then they wind up under the Georgia Strait. But I just, I'm doing what I can, man, and uh, try to bring some awareness to it. LaRocca is turning a lot of these finds into art, posting creations on his Instagram account. He's had followers offer to buy some of the more unique artifacts. Like this old BCAA badge. They don't make them like they used to. But he hasn't parted with anything yet. Here's something interesting. Right There's here. really no end in sight to these expeditions because there is just so much out here. People would be very surprised. Yeah, the stuff I'm picking up is just the stuff I pick up. And so for every pretty piece I find, there's plenty of ugly stuff I've left behind. It is a nasty scene on some parts of the river's edge, but at least on every outing, he's pulling a bit of trash off the shoreline. It's kind of like a drop in the bucket, I think, a lot of this stuff, but every little bit helps. I think in a perfect world, the best beachcombing find would be to find nothing. Jay Durant, Global News. And if you know someone who has a great story to tell or something unique to BC that people need to know about, there's lots of ideas out there. You never know what you'll see when you're driving down the street. Just email your ideas to Jay at thisisbc at globalnews.ca. That's true. You never know. <laughs> you just never know. Of all the wildlife that's out there. Sometimes the wildlife. Doing yeah. the things that wildlife do sometimes. In the neighborhood that not often sees that kind in of In the heat of the moment. Something like anyway, that. Anyway, it's an inside joke. We should stop <laughs> milking it. <laughs> We'll tell you about it later, Christy. Just an image we can't get out of our okay, heads right now. Thanks. All right, uh, you have the last word on weather. <laughs> sure. So we are starting to feel a few sprinkles here in North Van. We'll continue to see that rainfall overnight, but it's brief and pushes out in time for our Wednesday. So not bad Wednesday, Thursdays when you can expect the rain, though. For those of you who are on TikTok, search bears in Coquitlam and on a date. That's it. <laughs> Good night, all. <laughs> Hi, it's Shauna, and I might be a bad parent because my kids think french fries are vegetables. Hey, it's Ryan, and I might be a bad parent because I went out for wings when my wife was in the hospital after giving birth. Johnny here. I might be a bad parent because in my house, the tooth fairy gives pocket change. But we're not alone. Len emailed us and said his six-year-old daughter's Tarzan moment going from love seat to lazy boy by curtains made him more proud than any dance <laughs> recital. And Andy left his two-year-old at the rink. All right, guys, I'm sure we're not alone, like Andy's kid. For stories and confessions like this, make sure you check out our podcast. It's called Bad Parents, and it's available wherever you get your podcasts. I left a glove at the rink.